It's time to set aside the superficial. It's time to go deeper. It's time to engage in truth. Here's John Bornstein. Well, everybody, welcome back to Engage in Truth. This is John Bornstein. I'm the senior pastor of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley right here in Colorado Springs. And I'm so excited that you are tuning in today. We're continuing in our study of Revelation chapter 20, wrapping it up today, in fact. It's been several weeks as we have gone through this powerful chapters. We've looked at not only the thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ, which we covered examining a number of texts throughout Ezekiel and Zechariah and amongst many others. We examined the 18 prophetic books of Scripture. We know that almost a third of the Bible is dedicated to prophecy, so there's so much to cover in a short period of time, but it's important that we do, otherwise we can read one paragraph and, and get uh, you know almost too much of a uh, of a perspective from that alone without taking the entire context of the Holy Word of God to give us a proper perspective. And that's what we're trying to do here, even in our short time together each week on Engage in Truth. If you have missed any of our prior episodes, I would encourage you to go back to calvaryfountain.com and you can re-listen to episodes there as well as signing up on iTunes. If you're a podcast listener, this program is also on podcast format and uh, you can subscribe on iTunes. But Again, you learn more at calvaryfountain.com. Download prior episodes as well as watch videos. Download the sermon notes. We want to make this all accessible to you. Our, our hope in this is that you'll go and actually start small groups of your own. Uh, teach it far and wide. Get the message out there. After all, it is a revelation from Jesus Christ. It's imperative that we share this truth with everyone far and wide. Now, we have, uh, as we've been examining not only the thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ, the last couple weeks started to break into more of a discussion about the great white throne judgment and understanding the heart of God as it relates to judgment, uh, that, that God is merciful and God desires that all men be saved, that he, de- he doesn't desire the, the wicked to suffer. He, he desires that all men come to the knowledge and understanding of the Lord and his ways and repent before him. And we went through a number of scriptures to discuss that and, and to share the heart of God so that when we get to these difficult passages, it's not that we've just labeled God as a God of wrath, but rather that we understand his heart of mercy, that this is not what he wants to do. But because of the hardness of the hearts of men, because of the the wrath in men, the rebellious nature in us, that he has to execute judgment. Otherwise, he would cease to be holy. He would cease to be just and pure and righteous. His very nature is called into question if he doesn't put these things to an end. And certainly we see this at the end of days after the thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ. Once and for all, this is all squelched and purged from the earth right before he brings a new heaven, a new earth, even a new Jerusalem upon the earth, that new earth that will be created and and restored. And so we'll look at that as we get into that study, and I can't wait. Uh, But let's cover again into some detail here about the great white throne judgment. I'm going to recap a little bit of what we covered last week. For those of you who missed it, again, go to calvaryfountain.com. Now here we are, verses 11 to 15 of Revelation chapter 20. Let's reread. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. 
Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now, this is not the kind of chapter that you often read, or, or specifically this particular section of Revelation chapter 20, that we read uh, with, with a desire to be uh, greatly encouraged. But the reality in this is we can be encouraged, especially for those who are in Jesus Christ. Those who have given their life, have taken up their cross to follow Jesus, who have confessed with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their hearts that God raised him from the dead, we are assured they will be saved. John 3.16 tells us, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten, Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. These are the promises of God, regularly spoken throughout the Gospels and throughout the New Testament, even pointed to in the Old Testament. So the whole books of all the books of the Bible, all 66, pointed to this plan of God. Even if I just had the book of Isaiah, this message comes through loud and clear that it all pointed to a Savior to redeem us, to atone for us, that our sin would, would be expunged from our record before a perfect God who, who demands perfection. And we can't do that. And so the only way we can stand before God is through the atonement of Jesus Christ, and that we would even have life eternal with him. Now, what John sees here is a great white throne. First, it's called great. Here, each person's eternal destiny, not those who stood at the Bema seat of Christ, but those who died during the millennium, which includes mortal Christians and non-believers. Because during the millennium, as we covered in detail about that a couple weeks ago, that uh, the people are still having children and their families and so forth, and individuals who make mistakes. And then we see at the end of that a great rebellion against Jesus Christ, but we know that people will have to make decisions uh, to follow Jesus Christ, even though there he is in Jerusalem, and we're told that we'll go to worship him at his throne, where he'll be at this amazing temple that covers an incredible amount of square footage uh, that's not possible for the current site there in Jerusalem, that God will indeed take care of that. We know that when Jesus Christ comes and, land, and comes down upon the Mount of Olives, that he will crack it in two, and there's massive earthquakes all around the world. No mountain will be left, no island left. The, the world goes through great uh, trial and tribulation, and, and so that, that God's going to take care of those valleys and make plenty of space for this new true third temple that will exist as Ezekiel gave us a glimpse of uh, through God's word spoken to the prophet Ezekiel and giving us this amazing vision of this incredible temple that Jesus Christ will worship from. And so this is not those who received immortality that stood before Jesus at the Bema seat. These are all those who are still on the earth. There are still people on the earth. Individuals will have families, perhaps experienced a long life. We're told that even a child will be 100 years old, implying that people will live very long lifespans because, of course, as Jesus Christ reigns, there's a perfect environment, a perfect justice system. It says that alongside the, the river that flows out of his temple, there'll be trees of all kinds. And so people will live a long time. And so as a result of that, uh, we know that these are mortal believers and non-believers alike, as well as all of those who have uh, stood in defiance to him throughout all eternity, or excuse me, throughout all time, not eternity, but certainly through all time and the earth's duration of time. So it's great because it's the final judgment. This is putting an end of, to all judgment for all time, and praise God for that. It, it's great because all the unbelievers of all time on the earth, from Cain to this final revolt at the end of the millennial reign, they will be, they, these will be assembled to face the bar of God's perfect justice 
the only exceptions will be the beast and the false prophet who were already consigned uh, to the lake of fire. They, they were already there according to Revelation 19.20 and Revelation 20 verse 10. Now, it's called white because it will be the supreme, undimmed display of the perfect righteousness, justice, and purity of God from Psalm 97, verse 2 and Daniel 7, 9. And we know that all have sinned and come short of God's glory from Romans 3, 23. So indeed, this illustrates that. But we, we're, we, are, we fall dramatically short of the awesomeness of Almighty God. So thirdly, it's called a throne because here the Lord Jesus Christ will sit in absolute majesty and sovereign authority. Yes, it is Jesus Christ on the throne who will be executing the judgment. And we get that from John chapter 5, verses 22 to 30. Let me reread that to you. Again, this may sound like a little bit of a recap from last week, but it's important. We need to understand this. John 5, 22 to 30, we read, For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son, that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself and has given him authority to execute judgment, also because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth, and those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous, because I do not seek my own, but the will of the Father who sent me. Again, these are the words of Jesus Christ explaining that at this judgment seat, his judgment is sure. And those who have done good, i.e. those who have followed his commands, if we love him, we keep his commands. We know from 1 John that sin is lawlessness. So if we do the things of God, i.e. what is considered good, and following Jesus Christ and declaring that he is Lord and giving our lives to him, this is what is good and acceptable before God. So John saw the earth and heaven flee from Christ's presence. That's, that's awesome. And we get that for Psalm 114, 3 and 7 as well. And we've come to the end here of God's dealings with this earth as we know it from 2 Peter 3, 7 and, and verses 10 to 12. And a new heaven, a new heaven, a new earth, this is all coming. It's on the horizon. And we read in verse 12, And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The dead before the throne, these are evidently, as I mentioned before, the mortals who lived during the millennial reign of Christ and the unsaved of all ages, they now stand resurrected to face the judgment, according to Revelation 20, verse 5 and Daniel 12, 2. And there's a number of books that are opened in addition to the book of life. And we can speculate on these based on other scriptures, but the, this, this reveals here that, number one, I believe that the law of God is is revealed here through the written word that this is the scriptures is one of the one of these books that's opened because the law of God 
has been given to all man, and it was written on their hearts and explained as such in his word, according to Romans chapter 2, verses 14 to 16, and the revelation of God and the consciousness of him and all of creation is explained in Romans 1, 19 to 20, and that we are without excuse in Revelation 1, 20 and 2, 12. So again, whatever excuses men may have at the judgment, this will be explained to them, I believe, again, that you are without excuse. And scriptures will also demonstrate the clearness of God's plan that man is without excuse, according to John 12, 48 to 50 and 1 John 3, 23. And so the book of life then contains the names of God's elect. God will condemn those not found in this book. That's why it's important to understand why it matters right now that we give our lives to Jesus Christ, that we will not have to stand before God and try to give an account of, of our lives with our deeds alone. They will not be sufficient. Only perfection is allowed into the presence of God, and we could never be perfect. Only Jesus Christ's perfect blood atoning for us can enable us to experience the fullness of eternity with him. Now, the second book will be the book of works. These are the, the deeds that were committed that we did in our flesh, according to Ezekiel 18.20, will be judged according to their deeds, i.e. works. Deeds is erga and refers to anything that is done, a deed, action, or a work. And it's used many times in Scripture, used of good deeds in Matthew 26.10 and Mark 14.6, even Romans 2.7. It's also used of evil deeds, now, Colossians 1 2 John 11, dead works is highlighted in scripture of Hebrews 6 and 9, unfruitful deeds of Ephesians chapter 5 verse 11, ungodly deeds of Jude 15, deeds of darkness, Romans 13, 12 and Ephesians 5, 11, and the works of the law of Romans 2, 15. So God will evaluate their deeds, every word that they spoke. According to Matthew 12, 36, that every worthless word we speak will be held accountable for. That's how important it is that what we speak aligns with God's will and, and holiness. Ephesians 4, 29 is a scripture I had my children memorize that no unwholesome talk should come out of our mouths, only words that are helpful and build others up according to their needs. But when men reject the knowledge of God and his plan for salvation, they are making this determination that they will stand on their own merit and in their own righteousness before God. So the book of works will contain a record of all of their deeds, good and bad, according to 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 10, to demonstrate, I believe, Romans 3, 23. That we all fall short. No matter how many good deeds we have done, we all fall short and never measure up. We could not keep all 613 ordinances of the old covenant commands, of the ordinances and statutes, even of the Ten Commandments themselves. We have a hard time keeping ten, and as we talked about just a, a week or so ago, we I even spent some time highlighting just the three commands that, it, that expounded to seven, and the 213 oral, and then the 613 ordinances. We couldn't keep it all. We couldn't keep any of it. In fact, all of it only pointed to Jesus Christ, who is the only one capable of doing it perfectly. And Romans 2, 2 to 11, and verse 16 tells us, but we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? 
Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourselves wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds. Eternal life to those who, by patient continuance in doing good, seek for glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil of the Jew first and also of the Greek, but glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Now, this is where we pick up again here. A lot of that was recapped from last week. Very important to cover. But some have even asked, are there degrees of punishment? And that's an interesting question. A lot of times what we're looking for is fire insurance for someone else. We, we want to know that, well, because they were good-ish, they, they were a good person, that they're not going to suffer as others might suffer. Although that's not directly stated here, some have often asked of me this question time and time again of varying degrees of punishment in the lake of fire. Since God is just and must have a reason for judging people based on their deeds, if they're not standing under the atoning blood of Jesus Christ, why even go through the effort of judging each and every person? Now listen, all unbelievers will suffer forever. However, some theologians suggest the suffering will be in direct proportion to how they lived per the words of Jesus Christ in Luke chapter 12, verses 12 to 14 and 47 to 48, and Matthew 10, 14 to 15, and, and chapter 11, 21 to 24. So according to those verses, they have, have suggested that there might be degrees of punishment. And, and this is where we even see some of the uh, criteria where there is a comparison to the cities of Sodom and Tyre and Sidon with reference to how they'll be judged. And we see in Matthew eleven twenty two where he says, But I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. But let me ask you. In the end, the lake of fire is still the lake of fire, and you're still separated from Almighty God forever and ever. Does it really matter if there are degrees of punishment then within hell? The, the objective here is that we don't want to go there. We want to be with Jesus Christ forever and ever. And unfortunately, the Bible tells us that most people are headed to the lake of fire. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 to 14 says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. The great white throne will be nothing like our modern court cases. There will be a judge, but no jury, no defense attorney other than Jesus who is judging, who will stand on behalf of those who chose him, and a sentence, but no appeal. And then we see in verses 13 to 14 that death and Hades represent the fact of dying, the condition entered on after death. And the word used to describe this realm of the dead is Sheol, Isaiah 14, 15 to 17, it simply means the place of the dead. The New Testament Greek equivalent to Sheol is, is Hades, and it's a temporary place where souls are kept as they await the final resurrection of Acts 2, 27. So God will raise non-believers 
out of this temporary state to be judged at this great white throne. And then he will cast them into the permanence of the lake of fire. And the Greek word there is Gehenna, and it's used in the New Testament for hell. It's a derivative of the Hebrew word Hinnom. And Gehenna became this place where all the corpses of criminals, dead animals, and all manners of refuse were thrown there to be destroyed. And in the, in the Gehenna Valley, Valley for uh, specifically, this place is known for having been a place of, of where burning sewage would be and, and burning flesh and garbage. Maggots and worms ca- crawled through the waste and the smoke smelled strong. You can go back to Isaiah 30 verse 33 on that. It was a place of utter filth. It was disgusting, repulsive to the nose and eyes. Gehenna presented such a vivid image that Christ used it specifically symbolic of the depiction of hell itself, a place of eternal torment and constant uncleanness where the fires never ceased burning and the worms never stopped crawling, according to Matthew chapter 10, 28, and Mark 9, 47 to 48. So because of Jesus' symbolic use of Gehenna, the word Gehenna is sometimes used as a synonym for hell. In fact, that's how the Greek word is translated from Mark 9, 47, hell. So the occupants of the lake of fire, Gehenna, and hell, as we would all one and the same, are separated from God for all eternity. And those who have rejected Jesus Christ and are in the temporary abode of the dead in Hades and Sheol have the lake of fire as their final destination. According to Matthew chapter 8, 13, 25, Mark 9, amongst many others, 2 Peter chapter 2, Jude 13, Psalm 68, the list goes on and on, including James 3, 6. So God has been telling us this for many, many years, all to point to Jesus Christ. So from this point on, there's no more death after this judgment. According to 1 Corinthians 15, 24 to 28, praise God. God will cast death and Hades both into the lake of fire. And then we read that anyone not found written in the book of life was also cast into the lake of fire. So eternal punishment is a doctrine that is becoming increasingly unpopular in our day. In fact, I can't imagine how many people just turned off the radio as I was even talking about it. But we have to notice here that Jesus Christ, the judge, spoke very plainly when he affirmed it. And if we once saw sin as God sees it every day, if we just examined the earth from his perspective, we would understand why this place of hell even exists in the first place. C.S. Lewis, who was an atheist, he tried to prove that God didn't exist. And in this process of doing so, he became one of Christianity's boldest defenders. And in clarifying his view that hell is a choice, he says, sin is a person saying to God throughout his life, go away and leave me alone. Hell is God finally saying to that individual, you may have your wish. And we read in Joshua 24, 15, he says, Now therefore fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Again, that's Joshua 24, 15. We must choose. You must choose. God is, is giving you that privilege to choose him. That's the essence of love. Now, that's a whole conversation we can have about Calvinism and Arminianism, but I believe the essence of it is this free will that, that really sets us up for what is an understanding of agape love from 1 Corinthians 13, that we must choose him. 
And we must call upon his name and we must be in a posture of repentance. Even as they were bringing the sacrifices into the temple, he was so uh, offended by their sin because they were simply just doing this out of keeping the commands of the law. But in their heart, they didn't love the Lord. And that's what he desires of us, that we be a people of love, not only to our brothers and sisters and to a lost world, having compassion on them, wanting so badly for them to walk the street of gold with Jesus Christ our Lord forever and ever, and having an urgency that we must tell everybody about it, and and that we would live forever and ever with Jesus Christ our Lord, that this is the heart that he desires of us, that we would have that kind of love and a love for him where we want to put away all sin, all unrighteousness, that we who love him do not keep on sinning, that we do not use our freedom as a license for sin, but that rather we are emboldened with the truth on our lips, ready to give an answer for the hope that is in us to a lost world that desperately needs to see ambassadors for Jesus Christ rising up for such a time as this. If we look like the world, then we have no message to give the world. We have to be the hope, the light in the dark places. I hope you're encouraged because of the severity of the understanding of this great white throne of judgment. It's not to scare you into into complacency or scare you into in a posture of such fear that you're unable, unable to do the work that God has called you to do, but rather motivated that lives are being lost every day, that, that we're not being... Uh, faithful in our service to Almighty God. Perhaps it's that neighbor, that family member, a co-worker, and you know they don't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, but you're content with being their friend. You're content with walking around their circle, but not giving the light that's in you, the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. I would encourage you, be urgent, my friends, with the truth that is in you, because lives are being lost every day, and that should be unacceptable to us as watchmen on the wall. We, we need to be diligent and in and and earnest, persevering, filled with truth, and hopeful in keeping our eyes on Jesus Christ, knowing that he is coming back soon. I hope you've been encouraged today. I know it's not an easy message as we go through Revelation. God didn't call us to the easy. He he called us to be faithful servants, uh, to be diligent soldiers, especially as he is forthcoming and is going to, to hold us accountable for what we have done in this flesh. So if you have any questions, again, reach out to us at Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley. I'd love to worship with you. Services are at 10 a.m. Learn more about our ministry, calvaryfountain.com. Again, it's calvaryfountain.com. God bless you.